That's a beautiful old song right there, and done very well, by by the way. Let me move these out of the way here for just a moment. Afraid I might trip over one of them. So. Sometimes I get excited and dance across the stage, so I just might move them out of the way. <laughs> I figured you did. <laughs> if you will, get your Bible and turn with you to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Now, about probably a couple months ago, I touched on this subject and mentioned this passage a little bit, but I want to go back and dwell on it because it's got some tremendous teaching for us here. Let me begin by asking you before we, before we even read our verses yet, have you ever marveled at anything Raise your hand if you've ever marveled at something. All right. Maybe it's a beautiful sunrise or sunsetting. Maybe a song you heard for the first time, like that one we just heard. It just sort of took your breath when you saw something. You thought, wow, that's, that's beautiful or that's fascinating or whatever it may be. Did you know that, and I think this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus marveled at a human being. Now that, that just, now like I say, I use this, not this passage, but that part where he marveled about probably two or three months ago. I, I didn't go up and look at when it was exactly, but it, uh, because that just got my attention, that something made Jesus stand back and just marvel. And he when you marvel, you just you're in amazement. Wow! Can you imagine Jesus being amazed by something that we do or did? Today we see that. We'll see where Jesus said that he was marvelled at one man's faith. And boy, that sounds great, doesn't it? I wish one day Jesus could be marvelled at my faith. I don't know if I've ever reached that point. Don't think I have. But can you imagine? that Jesus came to your life and looked at it, and he was just marveled, amazed at your faith. That's what we're talking about here today. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 13, and I'm going to ask you, if you would, like always, that we stand together and read God's Word. By the way, let me just give you a little explanation real quickly. Uh, that's based out of Nehemiah, the standing before God, because after they finished all the work that God had called them to do, God had them get together, pull all the people together, and he said, open the scriptures and read and have the people stand before me. And so I've always liked to do that. So if that's, you wonder why we do that every week, that's, that's the reason right there. But uh, Matthew chapter 8, beginning of verse 5, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man of under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes, to another come and he comes, to my, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, 
Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage you've given, just given us. And now, Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to the lessons you're trying to teach us out of this. And Lord, that we would have open hearts and open minds to see what this man did so differently than what we may do on a regular basis. And what caused Jesus to be so marveled, amazed at this man's faith. Go with us through these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh-oh. Hold on just a minute. Still no. There we go. Is it coming back? Now I've lost my place. Let's just go home. <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. So. Test two. There we go. I can hear it now. The power of Jesus' word. Now, you know, we all have this ideal. If Jesus would be here today, he could heal my sickness. He could heal your, your disease or whatever you may have. But Jesus doesn't have to be here to heal you. All he has to do is from even the kingdom of heaven is speak the word. Thou shalt be healed, and you'll be healed. That's a great concept. But here is a, a man that trusted so much. His faith was so much that he even asked Jesus. There's a reason for this. We'll get there in just a minute. But that he didn't even want him to, don't bother coming under my house because that would embarrass you. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. And so this man had enough faith that all he wanted to do, Jesus, would you just speak the word? And he did, and his servant was healed. We live in a skeptical world, but there are a lot of offers we shouldn't accept. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess who was walking through the forest surrounding her castle. As she sat down to admire the is back on. As she sat down to admire the lovely forest, a large bullfrog hopped up. And... Elegant lady, I was once a handsome prince until an evil witch cast a spell on me. One kiss from you will break the turn for young prince, and I'm moving to your castle. Your mother can join us. My mother can. And cook our meals and wash our laundry and bear my children. Enjoy my charms for many, many years. That same night, as the prince, prince sat down to a delicious dinner of lightly sautéed frog legs, seasoned with butter and herbs, she said to her meal, Thanks, but no thanks. But you're right about one thing. I am enjoying you. Isn't that how we do sometimes there are offers we shouldn't accept. But when Jesus offers us help, 
healing, hope, and forgiveness, you should take that immediately if you haven't already. That's one blessing you want to cash in on. But the only way you can receive the blessings of Jesus is by faith. There is nothing else you can do. It has to be your faith put into the faith of Him that causes us to become Christians today. I'm going to show you how the feeble faith can be transformed into a great faith this morning. Again, we just read the chapter of Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Have you ever noticed that Jesus often talked to people the crowd rejected? That would seem to be his forte, if you will. He didn't go to the high-class people and sit among them and talk to them. He went to the lowlies, the down-and-outs, the diseased, and he, people that would have nothing to do. Remember, at this day and age, the Gentiles were servants to the Romans, and they hated them because they made them do extra work. For instance, all a soldier would have to do is catch a Gentile walking down the street, a Jew walking down the street, and say, hey, carry my backpack for a mile. And by law, they were required to do that. And so they were not a very loved group of people. So the Roman soldier, the Jews, hated the Gentiles and despised the Romans. This Italian was, not, was just a soldier. It was not just a soldier. He was a commander over 100 other Roman soldiers. He was a powerful man. So he could do that even more so. So the Gentiles hated him even worse. And just the Jews hated him even worse. They didn't want anything to do with him because they knew that's going to put him to work or do something because all they'd have to do is say, hey, carry this for me. And they would have to walk for a mile at least. And then they could set it down, and then he would have to carry it himself for a ways. So they, they despised them. It was just a hatred between the two. We're reminded here that Jesus receives any kind of person. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter how much you have in the bank account. He says, whatever it is, by this passage we're looking at today, he says, because of you, you're a chosen one. You're a blessed one. Jesus made an amazing observation about this centurion faith. He was astonished. The Bible says, my Bible says, marveled at this man's faith. Jesus said it and did a lot of things that astonished people. But as far as I can tell, in the entire New Testament, this is the only time where he said he marveled at this man's faith. Some Bibles say he was amazed at this man's faith. But regardless, either one is, is a, if you look behind the scene, what he's saying is just a tremendous compliment he's given this guy. His disciples, he hadn't seen, said his disciples, he told them, I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. I've never seen it. Jesus is saying this to a man that's not even a Jew, to a man that's not part of the clan, if you will. He marveled. He told his disciples he had never seen such great faith as in all of Israel. That's quite a statement. But it's even more of a statement when you realize who it's coming from. It's coming from the mouth of Jesus. He's the one saying this. 
if Jesus was commenting on my, my faith or your faith, how would he describe us? I don't want you to stand and say, because we'd probably be embarrassed, and you would be too. But I would be afraid for Jesus to walk in this door and comment on my faith. I'll be honest with you. Probably you're in the same boat, because our prayer life sometimes, our faith is not what it needs to be. Would he say you have great faith? Would you like to have great faith? Let's examine five characteristics from this passage we just read of a person with great faith. Now, keep in mind, we're speaking of the centurion. He's not a Jewish man. He's a Roman. He's hated by the Jewish people because of the overseeing they did there. A person of great faith is concerned about the needs of others. Marion said to Jesus was Matthew 8, 6, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. He didn't ask Jesus for something for himself. He cared about a servant back at home. This man that had this authority, this man that had a position, this man that obviously had wealth, cared about a lowly servant back at home. Isn't that a picture of what we're to do, each and every one of us? We're to find people and find meet people. They may not have the biggest bank account in Coppers Cove, Texas. In fact, they may not have enough money for the next meal they're going to get. But Jesus said he was amazed when this centurion said, I have a need. It's a need of others. The first thing the centurion said was, Matthew 8, 6, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. He didn't ask again for anything for himself. He was asking for another person, a lowly servant in this day and age. Luke points out the centurion was very wealthy. The parallel passage, Luke points out the centurion was very wealthy, but the word servant really means slave. The Jews couldn't own slaves. But the Romans in Israel used slaves as their servants. As a powerful, wealthy, important man, the leader, it would have been easy for the centurion to find another slave and replace that sick one and not worry about it. But we see here that he cared for this servant. He cared for him enough to him that he wanted to go to Jesus and say, I've seen you heal. Undoubtedly, he was around the crowds that gather around Jesus as the centurion, as the guard, if you will. And he saw Jesus do miracles, perhaps, heard the words he spoke. But he cared enough about this person at home to go and seek out who Jesus was, to get Jesus' help on it. A mark of someone of great faith, they are constantly concerned with the needs of other people. Are you concerned with other people's needs in the church, out of the church, in the community? Are you concerned with other people's needs? I've lived here now for years, and just for the record, this is my fifth church to pastor, and I've never seen an area that has so many needs that need to be met. It is almost... I started to say daily, but not quite that much. Weekly that we have somebody either call or come in or whatever that need help. I mean, it just it's everywhere. 
I don't know if that's due to the military base. I don't know what. I've never faced that before. But it's week after week after week. We're not a wealthy church, folks. I mean, just in case you don't realize that, we're not a wealthy church. But at the same time, we've got a committee that sits aside that tries to help. They can't always do what they need. There's a tremendous need of people around this area. Are we reaching out as much as we could? If Jesus stood before you today and said he would give you anything you asked for, what would you ask for? Would it be something for yourself? Oh, yes, Lord, I need a new Cadillac so bad. I just, I just need that. Some of us would. What would be the need of your life today? If Jesus came to you and said, what do you need? I'll give it to you. I heard this little story that sort of goes along with this. Frank was 70 years old, and his wife Alice was also 70 years old. They were celebrating his wife's 70th birthday at a friend's house, and Frank wandered into a display room with a lot of artifacts. He picked up a strange-looking poof. A female genie appeared out of that cop, cup, whatever it was. She said, because you have freed me from this lamp, I will grant you one wish of anything you want. Frank thought about how that Alice's wife get a little bit old and cranky and how nice it would be to have a younger wife. So he said to the genie, I want a wife 25 years younger than me. The female genie says, are you sure? He says, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Frank says, I'm sure. Genie blinked her eyes and suddenly, poof, Frank was 95 years old. That reminds me of our prayers sometimes. Our prayers often go, become so selfish. This miracle is a great parable about intercessory prayers, what this is about. When we pray for others, we're doing the same thing the centurion did. We come before Jesus and ask him to help others. If you want to strengthen your faith, try praying more for others instead of your own needs. Watch it strengthen your own faith. The second thing we see, a person of great faith approaches God with humility. Jesus offered to the centurion to his home. Now, most of us, if Jesus said, well, I'll go with you to your house, we'd welcome him, wouldn't we? Well, some of us in our house, we may not want him to see what's in there, so that might change it. But as a general rule, we'd want him to go with us. Yes, come on, Jesus. Boy, I can, we can walk together. You can tell me all these things. You know, we'd want Jesus to go. But listen to his response, Matthew 8, 8. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come into my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, why did he say that? Remember, the Jewish people hated the, centur- the uh, Romans, the centurion. Luke also tells us that Jewish, Jewish leaders asked Jesus to help the centurion because he had given money to the synagogue. Hey, this guy's got money. You need to help him, Jesus. Heal him. You know, do something for him. Their motives were something to get at it back to them. In other words, this man was what we'd call a big shot. He was a VIP. And most VIPs demand special treatment. 
Roman soldiers had the authority to Jews to do work for them. They could just off the street pick a Jew out and say, hey, come here, I need you to mow my grass today. And he would be required to do it. Well, maybe not mow the grass, but I don't think they had Briggs and Stratton motors back in those days. But anyway, in Matthew 5.41, Jesus says, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. A centurion or a Roman could come up to a Jewish individual, anyone that's sitting here and you were Jewish, he could come up to you and say, I need you to do something for me. Here, carry my backpack for a one mile. That's all they could do. They couldn't go any farther one mile. Then he could put it down and leave it and say what he wanted to. But he was required by law to go one mile. And so Jesus comes along in Matthew five forty one and says, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. In other words, go a little bit extra. Do something extra for this person you don't even know. It's speaking to the church as well. Sure. Yes, we cannot meet every need that walks in the doors, I promise you. But we can do what we can do for them to help them. Now, most of them, no, I won't even go there. I don't want to get into that. This man called Jesus Lord. That was both a term of respect, the centurion did, like sir, as well as a profession of faith that the centurion believed Jesus was divine. He believed that Jesus could heal his servant even though he wasn't there with his servant. He had that much faith. By telling Jesus he didn't expect him to enter the house, the centurion was also politely helping Jesus save face which is very important in the Eastern and Middle Eastern culture. Now, why does Jesus have to say face? Well, he didn't. But that was the custom, that a centurion would not allow him to come into their house because he was a Jew. And so that becomes part of the story. Jesus was under the constant scrutiny of the Jewish leaders, remember? According to their oral tradition, Jesus would have violated the Jewish kosher law had he gone into this centurion's house and healed that man. So this centurion was doing something that he knew more about than the religious leaders did because he was saying, it doesn't matter. This man's special. He's divine. He doesn't have to be in that room. He can heal him right here. That's the faith that he had. Leaders accepted the centurion's money, but they would have never been caught dead letting him enter their house. Because that was not kosher. He was a centurion. He was a Roman. They were the scum of the earth. They were not on the same level as us Jewish leaders. The Bible says in James 4, 6, God the proud, but gives grace to the into God's presence and demand he bless you. Don't expect a real positive answer. To your prayers. Sometimes we pray something like this. Lord, I'm a good person. I've been faithful to this church for many years. I give my money to this church. I deserve this feeling. I deserve this blessing. How different that is from the humble attitude of a centurion who said, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. What he was saying is, Jesus, you're divine. I'm not. Doesn't that ring home sometimes? That we begin to think that we're special. 
Oh, I'm the pastor of this church. I like to strut my stuff. But Jesus says, the proud will be brought down and the humble will be lifted up. Oh, what a time we live in. There was the attitude of the centurion. It should be our, our attitude. God, I am not worthy to receive anything good from you. I've never done anything to deserve or earn God's grace and forgiveness. Every good thing that we receive from God is because of His love and grace, not our worthiness. Great faith is always married to true humility. Always. The third thing we see real quick. A person of great faith doesn't need visible evidence. God's Word is enough. This didn't didn't need to see the evidence. He didn't run home and check on his servant. He believed what Jesus said. You understand, begin to understand why he had such great faith? Because he was different than all the others. He trusted God. He didn't need to see it come to place. He just trusted that God did what he said he would do. Can't you imagine that scene when he got home? And I've just, I don't know, it's not said, doesn't say a word about it, but I've just got a feeling that slave, that uh, servant that was in that bed sick with a fever and couldn't get out and was literally dying, I bet the first one when he started to open that door was that servant standing there. Look at me. I'm healed. I don't know what happened. It just came over me all of a sudden. Isn't that a picture of each one of us? When we have God's faith, something comes over us. I've said a thousand times, and I'll say a thousand more before I finish saying it. If your salvation hadn't changed your life, something's wrong with your salvation. Because when you come in contact with Jesus Christ, just like this man did, your life is going to change. That doesn't mean you won't sin anymore. That doesn't mean you still won't have bad thoughts and get angry and all the other things we all live with. It just means that some of the things you have been doing, you look at, Stop doing it. Start doing the way he's talking about. The third thing we see, a person of great faith doesn't need visible evidence. God's word is enough. The centurion didn't need to see the visible evidence. He said, just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's faith, folks. Do we have that faith? Do we trust God that much? Unbelief says, I be- I'll believe it once see it. Great faith says, I'll believe it whether I see it or not, as long as God's involved in it. Great faith isn't talking about quantity of your faith. It's about the quality. Often pray more for, often pray for more faith. God, give me more faith. God, give me more faith. I think that's a futile prayer. You know why? Watch what happens here, what Jesus said to us. We often pray for more faith, but Jesus said, If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, that's a little bitty dot of a seed, you can move mountains. You know what Jesus is saying to us basically there? You've got all the faith you need. Put it in action. Put it in action. Oh, you just don't understand what I'm facing. No, I don't, but the God that wrote this does. And he says, you've got enough faith to accomplish anything you need.
Have you ever thought about what a difference is between a, a seed and a mountain? A seed has life in it, and a mountain is just dead rock. That little bitty seed is more powerful than that great mountain. And Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, a tiny little seed, you can move mountains. That's not my words. If you have a problem with that, take it up with him. He wrote it. In the spiritual world, always, life always trumps over death. Not the other way around. That's the principle of a mustard seed, having faith to move a mountain. If you have a mustard seed worth of living faith, you can move any mountain you're facing, Jesus said. This centurion didn't just have faith and that his servant would get better. He put his faith in Jesus. He says, I believe you can do it. And he left it there. He headed back home. And he believed that Jesus would do exactly what he said he did. So I've got a feeling there was a party when he got home. Well, we're talking about a servant, though. He's just a, he's a slave. But that man must have loved his servant to do what he did. He must have cared for him. And don't you know when he got home and he opened that house, that young man or young woman, whatever it was, we're not told, came running to him and hugged his neck. I've been healed. I bet the centurion says, yeah, I knew it all the time. No, I doubt he did. They probably had a, a dancing party right there in the living room because he had been healed. This was a servant. But the centurion loved that servant. He cared for him or her. It, we're not told that he, he would do this. Faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Great faith is great the great God who is the object of our faith. I read about in the old days when a preacher who traveled on his horse going preaching from village to village. One winter he needed to cross a frozen river and he was way out in the middle of nowhere, near a, not close to a bridge anywhere. Not knowing the distance of the ice, he tied up his horse slowly walk out on the ice, slowly making sure it's thick enough to hold him. As he got further from shore, he began to doubt the strength of the ice to hold on, hold him. Soon he completely lost his nerve and began to crawl back on his knees to get back to the shore. He feared the ice was thin and that it would break. And crawling on his hands and knees, he tried to get back to the shore. Such a loud noise. And thinking the ice was cracking under him, he prayed to God for deliverance. But then he looked up at the source of the noise and he saw it was a local lumberjack leading a team of horses, dragging a, lo- a load of heavy logs. He got on the ice and went across. When he saw that, jumped up and claimed his horse and crossed the ice without fear. The road changed. The thickness of the ice hadn't changed. The only thing that changed was the faith of that preacher. Folks, when we begin to change our faith, we can begin to change our situation. We can begin to change lives. Do you know? Do you have the kind of feeble faith in God's promises that makes you crawl on thin ice? Or do you have the kind of faith that God's Word is as solid as the ground? 
beneath your feet. Lastly, a person of great faith understands authority. The centurion made an important statement that you might miss unless you pay close attention to it. Look at Matthew 8, verse 9. The centurion says, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. This centurion didn't first didn't brag that he was a man in authority. He said he was a man under authority. Some people are so enamored by their rank or their position, they just like to flaunt it all the time. I heard a story about a newly commissioned lieutenant was sitting behind his desk at the first day of his new assignment, his new command. He heard a knock at the door, and he wanted to impress everyone who was there, so he quickly picked up his phone, put it in his ear, and began to talk. And, Come on in. As a private entered, the lieutenant says, Yes, sir. Colonel, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you calling. Welcome me to this new position. General Rogers just came minutes ago to welcome me also. Sir, I look forward to working with you. Good day, Colonel. I'll see you soon. The officer slammed down the phone, turned to the private and says, Yes, what do you want? Can't you see I'm a busy man? The private said, Yes, sir, I can. I'm just here to hook up your phone. The centurion didn't pull rank. He understood the spiritual authority is much like the military chain of command. Now, I've never been in the military. I don't know that. But I've been around enough of these guys and girl ladies that have served in the military, and I begin to understand a little bit of the military rank. And I probably wouldn't make it in the military, to be honest with you. Well, nowadays I know I wouldn't. But (laughs) even back when I was 20 years old, I probably wouldn't have. But there's a chain of command they have to go through. And if I understand right, you don't break that chain of command or it's serious price to pay. When the centurion truly really said was, Lord, I'm a man under authority like you. I call on these soldiers to do things and they do it when I say it. All you have to do is give an order. Say to the sickness, be gone and it'll be gone. He wasn't Lifting himself up, he was proclaiming, Jesus, you have the authority. You may be wondering, under whose authority did Jesus live? Well, Jesus came to the planet Earth. He placed himself under the authority of his heavenly Father. And he came to do his Father's work. And he did only what he saw the Father doing. Because he was under God's authority, he possessed God's authority. In the same way, the Roman centurion was under the authority of the emperor. He had the authority of the emperor behind him. He could make those men do anything he wanted because they were under his authority. So what's the application for us as we wrap up? In the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority is in heaven and in earth has been given to me. In Luke 19, uh, 10.19, he says, He is giving us authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. The only way we can exercise spiritual authority is if we fully submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Isn't that neat? When we submit to the authority of Jesus, who he is in our lives, all of a sudden, we begin to have a little bit of authority. A person of great 
faith receives great rewards. When Jesus heard the request of the centurion, he said in Matthew 8:10 again, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such faith, such great faith, not even in all of Israel. Remember, he's from Israel. That's his hometown. That's his country. That's his backbone. But he said, I've not found this much faith in all of Israel. Matthew 18, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done to you. God rewarded the centurion's faith. Not his position. Not anything else. But he rewarded his faith. Meanwhile, Jesus made a cryptic remark about how people from the east and the west, that's us, would rather would gather around heavenly feast and with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Jews didn't like that because they thought they were a monopoly on God and heaven. Then the Jews said subjects, subjective kingdoms, would be cast into outer darkness. There would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's description of hell. He was contrasting the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. He said it's in the presence of the Roman centurion to reinforce has nothing to do with your race, with your nationality, with anything else. It has to do with your faith in God. Folks, it doesn't matter where you came from, what country you came from. I know this church has people from all over this world. That's It doesn't matter. What matters is... Have you ever bowed before Jesus Christ and said, Lord and Savior? That's what needs to be done. About 10 years ago, at Coombe High School, now I may be pronouncing that wrong, so if you're with me and you, you're familiar with it, then forgive me. Stella Coombe High School in Stella Coombe, Washington, you would have seen an unusual sight. One of the members of the girls' track team was Natalie McCarthy. As Natalie crouched at the starting line for the 100-yard, 100-meter dash, you would have noticed she was like other teenage girls, except for one difference. She had an earpiece in one ear, connected to a small radio back in that little fanny pack the kids carried. Her father was sitting in the stands with a transmitter and the starter's gun fired, and they all took off. Natalie flew out of the starting blocks running at full speed. Natalie, in the 100 and 200-yard dashes, and the long jump for her high school team. She would speed down the track, guided by her father on that radio, speaking to her ear. And when she approached the line to jump or whatever it may have been, he would say, jump, and she would respond. And jump. She had launched herself out as far as she could on the long jump, and she was very good at it. What a great illustration of faith that is. I came across that not too long ago, and I thought, how can I use that? That's, that's got to be used somewhere. And I thought about it. We're running the race of life right now, and our Father is communi- trying to communicate to us. But a lot of times we turn our little cell phone off and don't listen to him. The Bible teaches 
that life is like a race. We're moving toward a goal. We cannot see with our physical eyes. We don't know what it looks like. But our Father speaks into our spiritual spiritual ears with his word, the Bible. And he guides us through the obstacles of life, if we'll let him, toward our goal. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes we find ourselves at a place where he says jump or whatever. First thing we should say is how high. Have you ever heard of a leap of faith? Someone said faith is coming to the end of all we conceive and hearing God say, now jump. Are we willing to do that? Faith is obeying him and believing that there will be something solid to land on. You may not can see it, but our trusting God is even in a dark world. God, when you tell me to jump, I'm going to jump. God is that solid rock that we can jump on. You say, well, I don't know the end of the road. But you will. And every one of us, if we live long enough, if God tarries long enough, will one day come to that place where God says, okay, I'm ready for you to step over. Do we have the faith that we need? If you don't, this morning you can. God can grow it in you. Let's all stand together. Dear God, we thank you for this time that you brought us together. And Lord, as we come to the end of the service, we just ask that you would take this day and these words. Lord, don't let these be my word. Let them be your words. That, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I don't know everybody that's in this room. I don't know their spiritual condition. I think I know most, but I'm not sure. But, Lord, just if there's, be, if there's anyone here in this room that does not know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, and have put their trust in them, let them take this lesson of the centurion, how he stepped out on faith and said, Lord, I believe you can heal it just by speaking your word. Lord, that's the same word he's given us. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that does not know Jesus. Don't let us leave this building without him. There's too many things that can happen in this old crazy world. Lord, there may be some here today that says, yes, I'm a Christian. I've just got away. I've just failed the faith, and I'm not believing like I should. Whatever the need today, Lord, these steps will be used as our prayer altar. These seats up here can be knelt in front of whatever need be. We'll have our deacons on each side, and, Lord, they'll speak to them if need to. Whatever they need, Lord, today is the day of salvation. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.